Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Seth Askelson. We're here for Friday's edition of Locked On Coyotes. It's another game day edition as the team continues their four-game road trip through New York and New Jersey. Uh, their only stop in New Jersey, not only of this road trip, but of the season. Uh, we'll commence in about an hour or so. We're going to get this podcast up right before, so you can get a quick listen in. And uh, as you prepare for the game pretty much this afternoon, we bring in uh, Sports360AZ's Andrew Bell. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well, Seth. And obviously a back-to-back coming off the Islanders game last night, a game in which the Coyotes lost. And I thought it wasn't their best performance of the year. I thought they played well enough to win. It was kind of one of those 50-50 games. But certainly not their best performance of the year. And I think it's more of a credit to the Islanders' play um, than the Coyotes. I thought a lot of credit goes to them. I thought they won a lot of battles on the walls and on the board. On the boards, pardon me, and uh, that's kind of what made the difference. And um, they played just a little bit better, and that's what it showed on the scoreboard. So all around, though, I thought it was a pretty good, entertaining hockey game both ways. And I thought it was two good teams going at it. So nothing to hang your head about if you're the Coyotes. It wasn't a huge loss, but um, one you'd at least maybe like try to get a point out of. You know, one goal game going into the third period, they give up the goal to Anders Lee that makes it three to one. Um, and like I said, maybe that's one you want to try and get a point out of. Um, they played well enough, like I said, to win. Maybe, I mean, they outshot the Islanders by one. We're behind them just a little bit in the faceoff circle um, or in the faceoff dot. But I, I thought they played well. It was just, like I said, give credit to the Islanders. Well, there's no space for um, anybody to really do anything with. Final shots 23 to 22 in favor of Arizona. I mean, when you look at these two teams, probably the two best defensive teams in the NHL. Um, Thomas Grice did not play. Uh, he plays tonight as the Islanders uh, will play a back-to-back, just like the Coyotes. Um, Semyon Varlamov, though, even though his goals against average was at 255 entering, he had a 9-2-3 save percentage, so uh, you knew he could stop a lot of shots if he had to. He didn't really have to see a lot, and neither really did uh, Darcy Kemper. Um, the final goal was an empty net goal, so only technically allowing... Uh, three goals in on 21 shots face. That's not good for the save percentage for Darcy Kemper. Um, but a lot of those goals, I mean, I think the three goals that were scored, there wasn't much that he could do about it. Uh, I mean, you could maybe talk about that Lee goal, but, I mean, that was such a quick shot with Lee falling down that, it, I mean, it was right in front, too. It was two yeah. steps from the crease. Yeah, it was a quick shot, and on top of that, it was kind of just a... He was spinning and going on the backhand, and he didn't really know where that puck was going to come off. It's kind of one of those where you can't read it coming off the blade of the stick, kind of just a whack. Uh, and it's literally two feet in front of him. Um, so it's really tough to read on that one. But to your point, um, kind of about the Islanders and two of the best defensive teams in the NHL, I'd have to agree with you. And, and call me a traditionalist or whatever you want to call it, but I actually thought, I know a lot of people, um, some hockey fans like, Seeing the new style of play in the NHL, the kind of up and down style, and a lot of quick, fast players that are joining the league in five, six goal games some nights. I was a bigger fan of games like these. I think um, it was a fun game to watch last night just because those teams are so, they don't beat themselves. They are so good with the puck. They are always seem to be in the right areas. They back check really hard, and they're just really solid defensive hockey teams, and that's the brand of hockey that I like to watch. I know in 
there's people who make the other arguments. Oh, I like to see the five, four or five goal games that are shootouts, all sorts of speed and skill. Those are great too, but I'm a bigger fan of the teams that can really hone in defensively. And that's a credit to their coaching staffs. And if you look at the teams with the best records in the league and the lowest goals against this year, they're, you know, um, they're among the best in the league. The teams that have uh, played the best defensive hockey are among the best in the league right now, the Coyotes being one of them. So um, I thought it was a good hockey game. All the way around, Coyotes just come out kind of on the wrong end of the stick. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to the old cliche defense wins championships. Uh, the Blues, really good defensively, really good goaltending-wise in the playoffs and helped them get to where they needed to go. Uh, I think for the Coyotes, it's it's a tough one. Uh, you're on a four-game winning streak. They were also playing the Islanders who were on a four-game winning streak, so something had to come to a head there. Uh, but you're right. This isn't a loss to get down on it. And the good teams bounce back and, and win their next game now. I think the good thing for the Coyotes is they don't have a lot of time to think about that loss. Again, not that it was a devastating loss by any stretch, but got to get back on the ice. You're playing a struggling Devils team, a team that might be the exact opposite on the back end in terms of what the Islanders bring, where the Islanders are stacked in net and, and really good defensively. The Devils are, are the other way. We'll get to that in a little bit, but... Um, back to what you said about uh, the game yesterday and yeah these teams don't beat themselves and that's why when Broussard scored so early he scored a minute 25 in you kind of had that feeling like okay is is this where the game grinds to a halt like are we are we ready to get grinded to a halt already you know the first team that scored in most hockey games is going to be able to dictate the pace um but it's not like what you saw in Edmonton last night where Edmonton came back and won 4-3 against the Capitals. Um, you know, when the Islanders score first, when the Coyotes score first, they try to control the puck. It's a team that really likes to control the puck, both these teams. Uh, and that's why when Grabner scored uh, halfway through that first period, that was huge because the Coyotes were struggling to get anything going. They had a couple failed power plays. They had a couple chances, but nothing that really got through. And then Grabner broke free and scored. So um, for the Coyotes, I thought they played okay against the Islanders. It was probably the worst game they've played so far this year. Which, I mean, again, if if losing to the Islanders in that fashion is your worst game of the year, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think... I agree. I'd agree with you in the sense that it was their worst game of the year, but the Coyotes haven't played really a bad hockey game. Also, even the game last night, I wouldn't consider it a bad performance. Now, if they come out tonight against the New Jersey Devils and you know lose the Devils and don't play well in the second end of back to back, then there's a little more cause for criticism. But I thought it was a good hockey game, and hockey's a game. It's a team game of one on one battles, and I thought. To your point of controlling the puck, I thought the Islanders were just a lot more. The 50-50 battles, the battles on the boards, they won more of them than the Coyotes, and that's ultimately the difference in the hockey game, especially when you have solid defense and solid goaltending. I thought they won more of those 50-50 battles. Um, they played, like I said, I think they played well enough to win. Obviously, they outshoot the Islanders by by one, but shots aren't the ultimate stat to look at uh, in a game like that. And I think, uh, like I said, credit goes to the Isles because in the first period, they're on their home ice. That's a tough place to play. You mentioned that the other day on the podcast, and they came out swinging. It was going to be a heavyweight tilt at this early juncture in the season between two teams who are um, relatively healthy and playing good hockey. And they threw the first punch. They really controlled the first 10 minutes of play. And the old saying goes, 
hang in there the first 10, 5, 10 minutes of the game and then try to work one or, you know, try to, you know, get an ugly goal or something like that. They got a break on that Grabner shot and ends up being one-on-one with Farlamov and he has a great shot. And at that juncture of the game, it's looking like, you know, the Coyotes are all good. And, of course, second period, the goal comes and it's a 2-1 game. You're still feeling pretty good. You gave yourself a chance going into the third period and it's not able to get the job done. I think the turning point is that Anders Lee goal is just too much to overcome. The Coyotes add the late tally and the third was too little, too late. And uh, it was one of those plays with... Anders Lee, you and I were talking about it before, but another one of those 50-50 battles. It's a pass. It's one-on-one from the net. Goligoski and Anders Lee, who's a big, strong, heavy body, that's where he makes his money is in front of the net. He's able to, to get one home there, and it's just kind of exemplary of the game. Um, just losing those 50-50 battles, being just a step behind, and uh, ultimately dropping one to the aisles. But um, like you said, if, they're, if that's your worst performance of the year, still got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah, and uh, again, you get down 3-1 against a team that really likes to lock it down in a tough place to play, and it's it's going to be tough. I mean, they, you know, 1-1 at the end of the first. Josh Bailey scores at 14:03 right before the break, and then Anders Lee scores at the eight-minute mark of the third period. So you're down 3-1, struggling to get anything going. I know Garland scores his fifth with a minute five left. So you like to see that, right, showing some fight. They score with a minute five, and then Mayfield puts home his first uh, with 12 seconds left. But uh, the tough part is, you know, you don't you don't want to look back and say, oh, this is a game that they could get points out of. Now, I don't think it will be at the end of the year. Again, I think they'll make the playoffs somewhat comfortably. And, I mean, this game wasn't close enough, you know, to, like, what happened to the Panthers last night where they were two minutes away from a victory and got snatched from them in, in a shootout. Um, but, you know, this is a good test for the Coyotes, a team that was riding high. Rick Tockett talked about, you know, you just can't sit on what you've done. You can't, you know, enjoy what you've done so far, but understand that there's more ahead. And it's against a team that's really physical. I think the Coyotes have struggled against those type of teams. Uh, it was a good test, and we'll see if they're able to uh, recover going into tonight. Friday seems to be the night of back-to-backs in the NHL is – uh, the Coyotes play a back-to-back. The Sharks play in uh, Toronto tonight. The Capitals now have to go to Vancouver. Uh, so a lot of back-to-backs, including that. The Coyotes playing the Devils. That game getting started in about uh, an hour or so. It's probably about half an hour when you're taking a listen to this. And the Devils, a team that went out, spent some money, made some moves. Uh, but they didn't really spend any money or make moves where it mattered the most. They thought they could get by with Mackenzie Blackwood and Corey Schneider, and clearly that is not the case so far. I mean, you take a look at the numbers. Corey Schneider, uh, 0-3, a 409 goals against average, an 876 save percentage. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, who confirmed from the Devils themselves, will be the starter for New Jersey. Uh, he has two. He's two and one. He's the one that has all two of their wins. Um, but a 315 goals against average, 886 save percentage. So it's been ugly for the Devils. The Coyotes, a team that have scored a lot of goals in the last few games. I know they only scored two last night, but still piling on a lot of goals. What do you want to see out of this team as as they come out of the gate looking to uh, get back on another streak? Well, I think they got to come out with fresh legs. And Coach Talkett mentioned last night, I would not be surprised 
Um, and I have to actually I have to double check that too. I believe they've already posted the start and lines for tonight, but it looks like Barry Heaton from what was indicated last night is probably going to be in the lineup. Uh, Coach Tockett said after the game they're looking maybe get a get a couple guys a night's rest and just get some fresh legs in there on the second night of a back to back on a tough East Coast swing. I think if you're the Coyotes, you got to pounce. You got to be ready um, to put up goals right away and. Uh, like I said, maybe it's not a bad thing that they're coming on a back-to-back and they're coming in, um, you know, to play on the second night of a back-to-back, cause especially after a sour taste last night. Yeah, and and for the Coyotes, a, a chance to jump on a team that's struggling, a team that really thought that they were going to be, um, they thought they were going to be contenders, right? I mean, two years ago, they went to the... Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs lost to a really good Lightning team, and a lot of you know Taylor Hall has his MVP season, and everyone's like, "Well, the Devils are back. Are they back to being a dynasty?" Goaltending hasn't helped with that. They've had some injuries. Nico Heisier's finally coming back. Uh, little pregame capsule from the Coyotes' uh, Twitter account. Uh, they have mentioned that the team is seeking its sixth win in the last eight games against New Jersey. Um, and uh, Jason Demers, who we've talked about um, off air a little bit, he is only a point away from having his 200th career point of the season. So uh, the Coyotes are playing a team that they've had really good success against in the last four years, 6-2. and two. Um, A team that's struggling, trying to find itself. But that can also be the most dangerous team, right? The Devils, they have two wins, a team that... Not only do they feel like they have the offensive talent, I know they have the offensive talent to really get things started. Um, so for the Coyotes, how do you avoid going out and keeping last night's loss in your mind? Again, I don't think this is a team that that's going to devastate too much. and It wasn't that hard of a loss in terms of the way it ended, but how do you make sure you go out there and you stay focused? I mean, they have to be tired. This is the third game in four days. They've been on the road since Sunday. I'm just getting acclimated to New York. How do you make sure you don't, you know, kind of start to fall off the table a little bit as this road trip goes on? I think that's where some of the veteran guys in the room kind of step up, try to get the energy going because they realize, I wouldn't say what's at stake, it's so early in the season, but they realize that they are on their third game in four days and they need to bring the energy. It's not a game. It's kind of one of those trap games where you're going into New Jersey and you see a Devils team that you look, if you look at the numbers, uh, it's not going to help you at all. You got to have that fresh mindset going in um, and knowing that you're still going up against a very worthy opponent who can put goals up in a hurry. They are very capable offensively. The defense and goaltending has been another story for the Devils this season. The offense is very capable. So going into this matchup, um, you know, you just got to have that mentality. And I think, like I said, it's where kind of some of the veteran guys in the room, uh, maybe Oliver Ekman Larson, uh, you know, Phil Kessel, maybe uh, just leading by example. I don't think he's necessarily more of a vocal leader, but um, just by his play on the ice, um, I think they can make a big impact in this game and just kind of try to show some of the young guys um, the way and the way to play consistently on the second night of back to back and how to kind of be a professional. I don't think that'll be too much of a problem. A lot of these guys so you know, even if they are young, it's their third, fourth year in the league, and they're used to these back-to-backs. But it's just part of the grind of an 82-game season. Also, I know I mentioned uh, Barrett Hayton, but it is confirmed as of um, 
per Craig Morgan of The Athletic, who is on the East Coast and in New York um, for this trip, but confirmed as of 45 minutes ago that Barrett Hayton will indeed be in the lineup tonight, and so that will be his third game. And then Brad Richardson is out tonight. He's day-to-day with an upper body injury. And Phil Kessel also banged up, but will be playing. So the Ironman stays in the lineup. And um, Richardson, a little bit of a, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine, like I said, just day-to-day. But uh, you look on the penalty kill. Now, Coyotes are a little bit more thin in uh, that regard with you know some of the guys who they have out of the lineup. Yeah, and the Coyotes' penalty kill hasn't been great to start the year. And it's mostly been that second unit where last year you had Josh Archibald, you had Nick Cousins, kind of the... Guys, you, you knew that we're going to be able to kill penalties well. Here, a lot more finesse, a lot more skill on this Coyotes team. Do you want to really put Carl Soderberg out there to kill penalties? I mean, he's probably your best second option. Now with Richardson out, who's going to kill? You'll probably see Soderberg jump up. Maybe Derek Stepan will kill some penalties as well. So um, an interesting case for a penalty kill that hasn't been as good as it was last year. Um but, uh, yeah, you beat me to it. Some A couple interesting notes there. Hayton plays. Um, the funny thing, or not, not necessarily funny, but I think the key part of that tweet is that Richardson is out. So I think you're going to see Hayton play center. Now, is he going to jump up? Is he going to take Richardson's place? Is he going to be on the line with Grabner? Um, or is he going to bump to the fourth line and they'll bring Soderberg up to play with Grabner? I mean, I think they'll go Hayton, Grabner. Hina um, Strohs, I think that's the best line for him, especially with the way he's skating. And I think if you see the Coyotes struggle, if you see Hayton not playing as well, I think you'll see Hayton maybe get thrown up to the Richard or to the uh, Dvorak Schmaltz line and maybe drop Garland down for a moment, just kind of depending on how the game rolls. But um, I'm thinking Hayton's going to pop in uh, on that Grabner Hina Strohs line. Yeah, I could see him slotting in on that fourth line. I think that's what works best. I don't think you want to split up that Soderberg line and the way they've been playing as of late. You don't. I don't think you want to split up Garland either. And uh, <clears throat> the possibility of having Hayden at center is, um, you know, it should be interesting for the Coyotes tonight. And uh, I know I mentioned just Craig Morgan a second ago and kind of his report, but he also had a great story on uh, Nick Schmaltz and um, – Christian Dvorak playing together in the Chicago Mission days and kind of being knowing each other from childhood and kind of addressing the point of the story wasn't necessarily the childhood friendship but kind of addressing what we've talked about here on the podcast and just the overload of centers that the Coyotes have and Barrett Hayton slotting tonight um, he mentioned a little bit how Coach Tockett and GM John Chaika look at that as more of an advantage than anything I think tonight's kind of indicative of that when you have a guy like Hayton who um, you know hasn't Kind of been thro- he's kind of been thrown around everywhere to start this season, but he gets a chance kind of at his natural spot tonight. And when you have guys like that, uh, defensively it makes things a lot easier. And uh, it was a good article if you haven't checked it out. It's by, like I said, by Craig Morgan of The Athletic. Just recently posted it earlier this week, but kind of just addressed that overload at the center position and kind of talked about how it helps having those hybrid guys who can adapt all over the ice and really helps out defensively. And I think it's part of the reason that you're seeing some of the uh, strong defensive play, not only from the guys on the back end this year, but from the forwards as well, um, because the Coyotes, their gap control and on the back check are among the best in the NHL, if not maybe the best in the NHL. Yeah, and for a team that was starved for center depth for so long, all of a sudden they have six of them. So not a bad thing, and especially having Schmaltz and Dvorak who played together back in Chicago and um, already had that chemistry. They look good so far. 
Um, and uh, for this Coyotes team, I mean, it's just it's a case of you know who's gonna who's gonna own the play, who's gonna be the one to play themselves in the lineup. I mean, talk. It seems like one of the coaches where if you're practicing hard and he can see it and and you're improving, he'll give you the time. I think with Hayden, they're not gonna rush him, right? I think especially through the the Dylan Strom experiment. I wouldn't say they rushed him in the NHL too much. Uh, I think he didn't care to be here. I don't think he wanted to be here. Uh, and I think part of the his success, he's a talented player. I won't take that away from him. But I think part of the success is he gets to play on a Chicago team that at the time had more talent than what the Coyotes had offensively. I don't think he's ever going to be a top line center. I don't think he's ever going to produce on his own. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that uh, a guy like Phil Kessel, who doesn't matter where he's playing, who he's playing with, he'll put up points. I mean, Kessel was a part of some putrid Toronto Maple Leafs teams, and he still put up a lot of points. I don't think Dylan Strom is ever that guy. I think if Chicago thinks he'll be the Jonathan Taze replacement in the next few years, I think they're fooling themselves. Um, so I think with Hayton, they're taking their time. They're making sure he develops and, and making sure that they don't have another player on their hands that, that doesn't turn out from a top 10 pick. Batted around earlier this week, uh, as everybody knows, the Oilers and Jesse Puyarvi, that uh, relationship is not going very well. They get drafted him fourth overall in the 2016 NHL draft. Puyarvi said that uh, he will not play for the Oilers anymore. He will not uh, come back. And really what it sounds like is, he, well, he wants a trade is what he wants. Or pretty much he's guaranteed that he'll get really good ice time. Uh, I don't blame the Oilers for not giving him what he wants. He only has 37 points in 139 NHL games. Um, right now he's playing in Carpet of the, the SM Liga. And he's playing well over there. He's got 15 points in 14 games. So, uh, But, I mean, we saw Austin Matthews go to the Swedish league, or the Swiss League and dominate people at 17 years old. So, I mean, impressive. But I think if you're an NHL team... Not uh, that, not that you're going to try and call the Oilers as fast as you can to get them on your team. Now, an interesting suggestion batted around by Jim Matheson of the Edmonton Journal. Uh, his bio says has covered the Edmonton Oilers since 1972. It's kind of a sick brag, um, but uh, you can tell maybe the ro- the uh, the age of the road has gotten on his uh, mind a little bit more because he suggested that the Oilers should call the Coyotes, see if they can get Christian Dvorak for Jesse Poyarvi. Now, um, that's laughable in many hockey circles, and usually when any news on social media comes out about the Coyotes, there's not a lot of Canadians jumping to the defense of the Coyotes and their fans, but there are even Edmonton people <laughs> that realize that was crazy. But Jesse Poyarvi, an interesting case. Coyotes with Vinny Hinostroza, maybe not the greatest start to the season. You think maybe if the Coyotes called the Oilers? Now, you don't, never want to trade in division, right? But Oilers struggling for depth, for forward depth. Hinostroza would, would fit in on their second line and even their third line. I mean, is it a possibility that A would even be considered by both teams considering they're in the division? And B, is that something that you would at least maybe kick the tires on? 
Seth, mark what I'm about to say. This will be one of those that if it comes back to haunt me, then you could make it go viral on social media or something like that. But no, that is not going to happen. I don't believe it's going to happen. Uh, and I just don't think there's... I don't think Edmonton... It's just an awkward situation. And I don't think John Chiker or the Coyotes are going to pursue it um, in that sense. Like, I don't think they're going to pursue what's on the table for Hinostroza. And the Dvorak... Suggesting that is, like you said, pretty laughable because I, that, I mean, the Oilers would be fleecing the Coyotes if they got Dvorak, especially the way he's playing this year and kind of the breakout year that he's he's having and the way he's gotten off to start this year. I thought that was somewhat laughable. And that's, you know, no disrespect, but I, I thought that's just way, that was way far out there um, on that tweet. But I don't really see it happening with Hinostroza as well. I think... They like where he is right now on the fourth line. We talked about the forward depth. We kind of have Hayton just off and on. If they were able to do that, it would give Hayton more of an opportunity. And I don't know how much they necessarily want to use him this year. Um, if They're obviously not going to put him through a full 82-game season, of course, unless injuries pop up or anything like that. Um, but I just I don't see it happening, and it just seems too far-fetched. And I don't really know who's going to touch him right now because – uh, it's kind of a precarious situation. You mentioned his numbers, and I don't really think uh, any team's willing to buy right now. And so for an Oilers team that's had a lot of problems with making moves the last couple of years, and they're finally kind of in a good position, at least to start this season. I don't know if it'll last. It's a long 82-game season. I think their top two lines are really good, and they are one injury away from maybe going downhill. And I could be wrong. You know, this could be a year that the Oilers turned around, and um, their top two lines carry them, but you mentioned the forward depth. I think those bottom two lines that they have uh, probably need some strengthening. Um, so you could see Hinnestrosa slot in there, but in all in all, I don't really see it happening. I think it's just too far-fetched of a conclusion. Well, and with the Oilers, McDavid and Dreisaitl, I saw a stat the other day, they're averaging about 23 minutes a game as forwards. And some of the top defensemen in the NHL average 23 minutes a game. So... Um, I think the tough part about a trade like that mid-season would be, look, Poyarvi has caused a lot of problems for a guy who hasn't proven anything in the NHL. A young guy who hasn't proven that he can be con- a consistent producer in the NHL to bring it into a locker room that is pretty gelled together, right? Other than the addition of Phil Kessel and Carl Soderberg, it's pretty much the same locker room same main locker room it was last year. And to bring in a kid that, you know, a high draft pick, but it's kind of caused some problems. Demanding ice time is kind of dangerous for a locker room that seems to be rolling at the moment. Yeah, that's a good point, Seth, because, and this is a good thing um, if you're, a, you know, simply from inside the organization. The Coyotes locker room is probably, and I say this, like I said, in a positive way, it's going to come come out sounding like it's kind of negative but they might be one of the most boring locker rooms in the national hockey league and that's not necessarily a bad thing and the reason i say that is because they're boring in the sense that they're just pros all the guys in the draft and rookie or veteran they know what it takes kind of at this level and they know how to deal with 
um, you know, media and just how to handle themselves professionally on road trips. You never see anything. And, you know, if you're a Coyotes fan, you knock on word, knock on wood with me uh, saying this comment, but you have, you don't really see them, um, you know, kind of all over the place. Obviously Arizona is a different media market compared to Toronto or Edmonton or something like that. Um, but they're a very professional group. They're a very professional bunch. So they go about their business the right way. And the way that Chaika and um, Marulo, kind of the new ownership group has kind of gone about their business the last few years. Uh, that's kind of the culture they've shaped and that they continue to build every day. So I think to go after a target like that, where you mentioned a young, highly coveted player to start off, but demanding a lot, especially when he hasn't really had the actions to back it up at the NHL level, I think that would be a huge risk for the Coyotes. And uh, especially, like I said, with a locker room that's really professional and full of a lot of guys who, um, you know, full of good guys, really, that um, are pretty professional and know how to go about their business on a day-to-day basis over a whole season. Yeah, and uh, like you said, a boring locker room, but sometimes those are the best ones, especially when you're trying to build a playoff team. And I and I say boring in the sense, too, like I said, it's not boring calling their play, style of play boring or how the team chemistry is. I think the team chemistry is as good as, uh, as it's ever been in that room right now. Um, and that's a credit to Coach Talkett and some kind of some of the veteran guys who have stepped in. And I, just from an outside perspective of someone who isn't, you know, in the locker room with these guys or um, kind of what they hear, but they're a very just professional group um, to the outside world. Um, but in the locker room, I think the chemistry is as good as it's ever been, and all the guys are kind of clicking on all some of those cylinders at once right now. So to go out and get kind of a, uh, a sketchy – I don't want to say a sketchy player, but just kind of a um, – a risk that pick, I think it's a little bit too much to ask for. But like I said, mark it down, Seth. If I if I'm wrong, we'll go back to this podcast and cut up my audio clip, and we'll chalk up how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> well, and I mean, you look at uh, real quick before we wrap up this 2016 draft, fourth overall for Puyallupi. Guys that went after him: uh, Matthew Kachuk, Clayton Keller, Mikhail Sergachev, who's having a decent career in camp at the moment. Um, Charlie McAvoy, Jacob Chikorin, um, just go down the list. And it's been, uh, you know, even guys like Sam Steele, who's contributing to the Anaheim Ducks right now. I mean, again, hindsight's 2020 and all that. But for the Oilers, it seems like they've really missed a lot of their first-round draft picks. And uh, troubling for a franchise who's made the playoffs once uh, in the last 13 years. Um, But uh, the Coyotes looking to make the playoffs for the first time in seven years themselves. And they look to continue their season tonight. They're playing New Jersey. Uh, puck drop by in about a half hour or so. When you're listening to this, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SAskelson96. Once again, that is at S-A-S-K-E-L-S-O-N-9-6. You can follow the show on Twitter at L-O underscore Coyotes. Once again, that is at L-O underscore Coyotes. Andrew, where can the beautiful people find you on Twitter? Uh, that would be at... Andrew Bell, 7, capital A, capital B, and that is the Twitter plug for me if you like to try to keep up with some local Arizona hockey news. But thanks again for having me, Seth. Uh, as we're wrapping things up here, should be a, a fun weekend. I think the Coyotes, like I said, nothing to hang their heads about coming off last night. Should be interesting to see how they respond today in New Jersey. Uh, if I had to make a bet, I'd probably say they take care of business, but you never know. That's why 
uh, they play the games and it's the NHL everybody comes to play on a, on a different night and everybody um, is ready regardless of who the team is so it should be a fun matchup and should continue to be a fun season with what we've seen so far yeah like you said um, that's why I go out there it's, a bit, it's been a tired group it's been a long road trip we'll see if they can keep it up when we come back Monday uh, recap of the of tonight's game of the Devils preview the Sabres game and catch you up on all the news and notes for the Arizona Coyotes. We thank you for joining us. Once again, Locked On Coyotes is a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That will start back up again Monday. Until then, we hope you stay Locked On Coyotes.